Good morning, everyone. I'm grateful to be here with you today from Campbell River, my little apartment. Um, big thanks to Brad for his invitation to come be with you today, and thanks to the worship and the tech teams for all the support and coordination over the course of the last couple weeks. I first became familiar with Jericho uh, through Brad and Meg, Jared and Sophie being part of Camp Bob. I've worked there for many years and I've just had the pleasure of getting to know their whole family better over the course of that time. I know a lot of you have been able to be at camp over the years either uh, as visitors or with work projects. I know a lot of you have also given generously towards camp. So it's great to be here with you as well and thank you so much for the support you've offered Camp Bob. I have been here with you before, but it was a while back, about two years ago, um, I was with you last preaching in the Hidden Figures series leading up to Easter. And since then, I have graduated from Amherst University, gotten my degree in theology, gotten married to uh, this guy, Nathan, and we had a COVID wedding this past May, which was fun and small. It was just our immediate families. And we are so looking forward to being able to party it up with our friends and family at some point, some unknown point in the future. This has definitely been a year of deferred hopes and even heartbreaks for many people, myself included. I graduated in April, wasn't able to find work for a long time. I found myself turning to new hobbies like gardening or flower arranging, just kind of as a way to like get into some sort of rhythm and find something to ground me with a lot of like heightened anxiety over the course of the year. I'm sure I'm not the only one who has been coping with more things than usual. Uh, there's been so much that's been challenging over the past year. Personally, I experienced an all-time low in the state of my mental health, and I found myself angry at a bunch of different things. I was angry that I had spent so long working on a degree and couldn't get hired. I was angry that Nathan and I couldn't go to Alberta to visit his grandpa one last time or to attend the funeral. Um, I was disappointed about my graduation ceremony and my wedding and just hoping you know you hope for more out of those events than sitting on your couch on a zoom graduation call i wanted to have all the people i loved with me on my wedding day um i was really worried when people that i love got covid um I became more and more anxious and I noticed my mental health and my overall capacity to do life kind of slip away. Uh, I couldn't function at my normal level anymore. Maybe you've experienced similar things this year or maybe your grief has looked really different. When Brad asked me to speak, he gave me the option of a few different Sundays and topics within the story of Job. So this particular week stood out to me because just like Job, I'm angry at God too. So as we go forward today, know that I'm preaching to you and just as much to myself. Through the first few weeks of this series, Brad has encouraged us to maintain a sense of perspective about where we are in relation to the story of Job. Truly, Job did suffer a more grievous set of events than we have this year, and we are right to remember our privilege. 
Today's passage, however, is a little crack in that idea, and it gives us a glimpse into some of the darkest days of Job's inner world. Believe it invites us into a less practiced way of communicating with God. While we do need to be given perspective checks, thank you, Brad, we also need to go inward and address the very real anger, confusion, and despair that occurs when pain is present in our lives. So today I'm going to read sections and then do a little bit of summarizing from Job chapter 19. So if you will open your Bibles and apps to that chapter, we will start with a summary. Verses 1 to 6 are Job's response to his friends who have tormented and crushed him with their words and their platitudes. He attempts and their attempts to find reasons for Job's suffering. He essentially tells them, shut up be quiet. If I did sin, it's my business only. So we'll start reading in verse five together. If indeed you would exalt yourselves above me and use my humiliation against me, then know that God has wronged me and drawn his net around me. Though I cry violence, I get no response. Though I call for help, there is no justice. He has blocked my way so I cannot pass. He has shrouded my paths in darkness. He has stripped me of my honor and removed the crown from my head. He tears me down on every side until I'm gone. He uproots my hope like a tree. His anger burns against me. He counts me among his enemies. His troops advance in force. They build a siege ramp against me and encamp around my tent. He has alienated my family from me. My acquaintances are completely estranged from me. He goes on to describe the deterioration of his relationships in greater detail. And then he ends his comments on what God has done to him with this final sentence in verse 21. Have pity on me, my friends, have pity, for the hand of God has struck me. Some light Sunday morning reading for us all. Um, In this passage, Job is speaking a response to one of his friends that you heard about last week. You know those friends whose advice seemed so well-intentioned, yet it completely missed the mark. In this chapter, Job essentially says, enough, and he maintains his innocence in addressing his friends, and then he takes an interesting step in his address to God. Job gets mad. He gets really mad. As Brad laid out for us in the first week of the series, Job's suffering is not a punishment from God. But we do begin to see here that Job wants to know what he's been accused of. Because remember the the time, the the milieu of the time was like you will have done something bad in order to be receiving something so bad. So Job wants to know what's this thing I've done? What have I been accused of? He knows he's innocent. So because he has no knowledge of the scene with the accuser at the beginning of the story, he's left to decide that God has become his enemy. And here's the weird thing. Job isn't wrong. He doesn't have the background knowledge that we, the reader, have about the heavenly scene with God and the accuser. And he isn't wrong in his assertion to God about his unjust suffering. By God allowing the accuser access into Job's life, the suffering in Job's life has come about via God. Job infers that God's action towards him has not been just and does not line up with the retributive justice, the the tit for tat, 
that was understood to be how God works at the time. The problem of Job is not Job's suffering, but God's silent role in Job's suffering. We begin to see this lack of answer from God chip away at Job's resolve to only speak well of God. His grief opens up an avenue for him to address God and even accuse God where he sees injustice as being done. So I'd like to ask you, when was the last time you accused God of something? I'm not advocating we all spin in that direction immediately, but for those among us whose grievances run deep and remain a sore spot, and maybe a hindrance in the intimacy we are able to experience in a relationship with God, a little honesty may go a long way. Because here's what I want to tell you today. God can handle every ounce of our humanity and does not love us less when we question God. We do a disservice to our relationships with God to not be honest about what we really think about our pain and our grief. Emotions like anger, doubt, confusion, experiences like depression or various mental health struggles are often deemed negative and can be interpreted as signs of weakness, both personally and spiritually. If you're going to suffer, you must do it stoically, faithfully, with resolve and never let any emotions consume you. Heaven forbid your mental health struggles make your relationship with God more challenging. We internalize the messaging of Job's friends, which is still widely available to us today, kind of through church culture at large. If I check all the boxes and do all the right things, if I say the right things, maintain the right attitude, stay calm, cool, collected, and trusting 100% of the time, things will be good. We aren't told these things explicitly, usually, but we're still exposed to this way of thinking in our world. And as we've already discovered, this does not prevent suffering. It doesn't make you feel great once you are in a state of despair, grief, or anger. Those well-intentioned remarks. So take a moment right now to check in with yourself. This year has had its difficulties. Either you or people that you're close to are likely grieving the loss of people, of celebrations, events, any number of ordinary joys that we have gone without this year. We're not going to engage in the suffering Olympics at this point. I'm not interested in whose year was the worst, but rather we're going to acknowledge that each and every one of us has a nervous system brain chemicals, and complex emotions that deserve acknowledgement and a place in our relationship with God. And when was the last time that you felt you had the permission to actually feel your grief and your emotions and to bring those very vulnerable parts of yourself before God? I find I can often let myself go quite a while between bringing up the real ugly parts of myself. I'd rather just keep hidden. It's 
here I want to highlight that unlike Job, you do not need to be alone in your processing of grief and emotions. I would encourage you to reach out to Brad or to others that you have relationship with at Jericho or who are leaders in this church. They're here to walk through life with you. They will be able to connect you with resources and guidance relating to your particular situation. Here is also where I would like to make some distinctions between some terms that I've been using so far and clarify a couple things. First, when I talk about grief, we need to know that there's no clear path through it. We used to think of grief in stages. It was denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and finally acceptance. Once you got through all the stages, you would arrive at acceptance and life would carry on. We now know and understand grief to be a completely unique cycle for each individual. Everybody weaves in and out of various aspects of the stages at different times of life. We'll often even return to a particular aspect of a stage even if you've thought you were done with bargaining or depression or anger. Months, even years later, you may find yourself back in that particular moment of grief. We all experience a variety of griefs. There are those, there are the griefs that are so big they have the potential to shatter us. There are the ones that we feel more collectively as maybe as like a church body would be one version of a collective. People who live on the lower mainland would be another collective, you know, Canadians moving out and out. Uh, there are those griefs which arise out of just disappointments, deferred hopes and dreams, um, natural transitions, like if you're moving to a new place or leaving behind something that's not, a, not great for you, there's often still a grief process there. Uh, it could be a shift in relationship with others. Job is smack dab in the middle of grief. His friends, like grief of every kind, and his friends came to sit Shiva with him. Brad talked about his friends did right. That's what they did right. Anger is a part of the grief process and it is known as a secondary emotion. So the reason why it's called that is because it is, anger is often prompted by hurt and vulnerability. So our bodies and our minds use anger as a defense mechanism against hurt, humiliation, rejection, frustration, fear. The way that we can kind of get into the heart of what's bothering us or what grieves us is actually through our anger. When we avoid our anger completely, we're often unable to access the catalyst emotion or event and be able to then process it in a healthy way. This requires a lot of effort and intention from us and it's not very much fun most of the time. This process through anger is incredibly revealing, can be frustrating, but it's also freeing. I believe that Though, even though we're observing Job's anger, we're also observing his freedom. So we're going to go back into the text for a minute and see what happens after this anger directed towards God. He left off, he was angry. Well, there's another portion, so we're going to go back in at verse 25. I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end he will stand on the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes, I and not another. How my heart yearns within me. 
So near the end of this chapter, after all of his sharp and confident questions directed towards God, and statements even, most of them are not questions, Job affirms the sovereignty of God in the midst of his anger. I would like to put forward that this is actually key for avoiding an all too common issue of anger turning into bitterness. Job's ability to express himself to God in his anger and yet still affirm God's sovereignty is actually a form of soft strength that exercises his vulnerabilities so that he doesn't form calluses on the tender and grieving parts of himself and become bitter. You can experience anger without it turning to bitterness, and we do that by recognizing the sovereignty of God. We don't always get to know the reason we're in pain. Job invites us into a response to suffering that is submitted to God, accepting good and calamity from God in acknowledgement of God's sovereignty. Job's given the freedom to express himself before the Creator. And spoiler alert, God never addresses Job's particular grievances. None. No answer is given, but what is given is space. Job has the permission and the space to press deeper into relationship with God through bold, bold vulnerability instead of the easier route of putting up defenses or allowing for cold, stoic, silent bitterness to reign supreme. The wisdom of this particular passage is that we do not need to hide or sugarcoat ourselves before God. Job has a freedom and a permission to lay it all out with honest questions, angry st statements, and lament. So my challenge to you in this remaining time of worship together and in the week ahead is to take an honest evaluation of your state before God. Not every one of us is going to be burning with rage this morning or on the verge of tears or deeply disoriented, but at some level, we are connected to the collective grief of our particular moment in history. I hope and pray that today you feel from this story the permission available to you to encounter God with your full self, with every possible emotion. And here's where I will remind you again not to go through this process alone. If you find you have some angry words from God, for God, please reach out to a trusted friend. Allow, allow someone to sit with you in your grief, even if they don't say a word. If you're a parent, how can you give your child permission to experience anger and process it in a healthy way? Teach your child that anger is normal and that it is secondary. See if you can tenderly hold space for the vulnerability and hold that vulnerability that lies beneath the anger and teach your child to see that part of themselves as well. All of us, single, partnered, married, grandparents, parents, we can do well to examine our anger and search for the vulnerabilities beneath. For some of us, Anger is an age-old practice. We're really good at it, but we haven't peered beneath the anger in a really long time.
for others of us, we have never actually gotten that comfortable with anger or we're too timid to actually express it. So when something rises up in you, a defense mechanism, we push it down and we try our hardest to stay meek and mild and lovely and sweet. And we put up a veneer of trust and faith that is so inspirational, but it takes us so much effort to maintain. While we typically won't receive an explicit answer from God, we can engage, just like Job did, in honest dialogue and questioning of God, expressing in a very human way the anguish that we feel, the grief that we feel in our souls. Let me pray for you. Gracious God, we come before you honestly. We bring our entire messy, angry selves to you in this moment, and we take comfort in the fact that you know what it is like to walk this earth as a human. May your spirit guide us and be near to us this week in our grief. Keep us from bitterness and keep us honest and vulnerable before you. We cling to you, Emmanuel, God with us. Amen.